Hey guys, Tim here, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. On today's episode, we have something a little different for you guys that we call Case Storytime with Leah. Without further ado, here's Leah with a story for you guys. Jim owned a manufacturing business. He wanted to meet somewhere off-site to discuss concerns. In our first very clandestine-style meeting at a coffee shop, he admitted repeatedly that he didn't understand accounting and financial stuff, but he just knew something was wrong with cash, cash balances at the bank. Something wasn't right. He explained that his office manager was great. He trusted her a lot, but lately he just had concerns about her loyalty. After listing several concerns, he would follow each of them up with, I'm probably crazy. She's on the up and up, I'm sure. The conversation had a lot of these emotional roller coasters from, she's the best person I've ever hired. I don't know what I would do without her. To, she's a thief. Jenny ran the office. She had worked for Jim for eight years. She was responsible for invoicing customers, making deposits, and paying bills. She used to be in charge of payroll, but now another girl in the office took care of that. But oh boy, that change was made with quite the fight. Jenny was always stressed. She did work a lot. And she definitely made sure Jim and everyone else who worked there knew it. She was loud about it even. Well, that is until she took days off and left early. Jim was fairly certain she was taking off and not using vacation, but he could live with that. She was great. See, the emotional volatility was exhausting. Jim reassured me that he looked at the bank statements every month and he had never noticed a check being paid somewhere other than what he expected. Additionally, he made sure he signed all the checks. After telling me about the office setup and the different roles and then about Jenny, he decided he was probably fine and that he was just paranoid. It was at this point in the conversation I jumped in. Jim, I said, in my experience, if cash isn't what you expected and you have a bad feeling, then there's just no reason to just take a look. To quote almost every fraud examiner ever, you can trust her, just verify. Since the expenses and payroll, the money leaving the business, seemed more secure from an internal control standpoint than deposits, the money coming into the business, I decided to ask a few more questions. Jim's answers identified that the plant where the manufacturing took place was operated by a state-of-the-art computer system. The guys out there could not load up an order for a customer without their computer recording the details and printing tickets. The tickets were then delivered to Jenny at the end of the day for her to invoice customers within a week. Upon hearing that one computer system controlled the product, and another system controlled the invoicing and accounting, which was QuickBooks, I asked, have the two systems ever been reconciled? Do you know that the product you're loading onto trucks for customers is actually being invoiced? Short answer, no. So that's where we started. Secretly, of course, because we didn't want to upset Jenny. We began comparing the units of finished goods loaded into trucks for customers to the invoices prepared and sent to the same customers by Jenny. Simple, right? Yeah, not so much. This was a mess. Jenny was the most inconsistent bookkeeper I'd ever known. And since this was an exploratory mission, we agreed with Jim to just look at one month of data. When we had compared the data from the two sources, we had an unbelievable number of anomalies, totaling about $20,000 from this one month. The plant computer identified $20,000 more in finished goods that had been delivered to customers than had been billed out of QuickBooks. I called Jim to tell him the results. That's impossible, Leah, he said. It's just a timing issue. Isn't that an accounting thing? 
Jim would not even consider that his hunch was wrong or that there was a problem. So to help us stay on track, I gave Jim two options. One, let's call it a day. We'll write a report and end the engagement. Or two, let me just talk to Jenny. Surprisingly, he chose option number two. When I arrived, Jenny was not happy to see me. She was so busy, she didn't have time for an auditor. She made herself busy shuffling papers, answering phones, yelling or chatting with neighboring employees, and kept telling me how much she was overworked. I turned on my kindest face and proceeded calmly, even though she was unbelievably rude and ridiculous. I simply just started working through the list of anomalies. For each one, she would provide me one of the following reasons. One, I'm just so busy, Leah. Sometimes I make mistakes. Just tell me what they are. I'll make notes and I'll go fix them later. Two, oh, that's not a big deal. Three, let me research that and get back with you. Jumping ahead of myself, she obviously never got back with me. After all of these excuses, I pulled out the best anomaly we had found. And of course, I saved the best for last. Jenny, I said, I have just one last question. Let's look at invoice number 3003. There's a discrepancy between the units sold and loaded up out at the plant and the QuickBooks invoice that you sent to the customer. I show a difference of about $7,000. Now, as of today, I don't remember the exact units, but let's just say it was something like 30 units were sold or loaded into a truck at the plant, but only two units were invoiced. Oh my, Jenny replied. Let me look at that. What invoice number? What was the difference? So I sat and waited on her to research until she finally said, I'm not gonna be able to look into this today. I don't know what happened. More than likely it was a mistake, but I'll need to get with the salesman and maybe call the customer and he's not here. And I, I need to leave to go pick up my kids. And that was it. I reported my findings to Jim and asked us if he wanted us to expand the scope to another month. He never responded to that question. He simply said, it will cost me too much to replace her. And he reluctantly paid the bill. I'm sure this isn't the ending you were expecting to hear. I shared this story with my team this summer during our Data Sleuth training month. Cases like Jim and Jenny happen. It's discouraging, especially when you've poured your heart into uncovering that delta between what happened and what should have happened. Or one step further, you've analyzed data to expose truth for someone. But if Jim or any client doesn't want to receive and act on that truth, we're not going to convince them otherwise. A client's response doesn't change who we are as analysts, fraud examiners, auditors, or data sleuths. A client's response is not a reflection of our purpose, our skills, our talents. When we have experiences like this one, it doesn't mean that we are irrelevant or insignificant. There's something in that employee relationship or maybe in the life of Jim that we will never know. So while it's difficult to separate his seemingly negative response to us, he's not really criticizing us. He's having to make the decision, to make the decision to acknowledge a breach of trust and work through the grief or the stress or whatever complications that creates. Or he can pretend it's okay. And this is something, a decision that we can't make for him. So what is the response for my team? I'm not sure I know if I'm being honest. But here are a few things that came to mind this summer. First of all, we are who we are, regardless of someone's response to our findings. Secondly, we're a talented, gifted team that serves our clients well. And lastly, we organize, analyze, and present findings with excellence and care, no matter the response, because we want to help people uncover the truth 
and what they do with it is their responsibility. Running a business day-to-day has its own struggles, but have you considered the idea that you could be losing money because of fraud or embezzlement? Trying to find these issues and fixing them alone would be a mission that seems impossible to accomplish. This is why Workman Forensics created a workshop to help your team create fraud prevention procedures that will actually work for you and promote team engagement in the new process. The workshop walks you and your team through various exercises to identify risks, improve current procedures, and create new solutions with your current resources. It all starts with a phone consultation that allows us to create a personalized plan for the workshop. At the end of the program, you'll walk away with not only a better understanding of the risks within your business and procedures to reduce those risks, but also an updated procedures manual so you can hit the ground running with the momentum gained in the workshop. Request a free consultation to start preventing fraud in your organization as a team by calling 918-574-6616 or emailing us at services at workmanforensics.com. Welcome to a new segment that we're adding to the Investigation Game podcast called Be a Data Sleuth. Whenever we drop in these segments, I'm going to give you practical tips, techniques, we can stop talking, start doing in our businesses as as a fraud examiner, as a concerned citizen, as someone who's maybe just perpetually paranoid about fraud. This segment is for you. So let's get started. For my first time hosting this segment on the podcast, I thought I'd start with something that maybe you've heard about in the news. We're going to talk about Michael Mann, my payroll HR, and just everything that that happened, what it led to, and how we can prevent that going forward. Um, I first heard about this on September 11th via email from Krebs on Security. And if you don't follow Brian Krebs on Twitter or aren't signed up for his emails, I highly recommend that you do, because he definitely is watching for these types of events and um, reports on them Uh, real quickly. And I really like his detail. So I read his article, I read some other articles, and I've kind of pieced together what happened. So, and I'd like to try to explain it on this podcast. So my payroll HR was Michael Mann's payroll processing company. And the direct deposits that you receive from your employer go through a series of processes. So I'm going to try to draw this. I'm not very good. I'm not an artist at all. So bear with me, but hopefully it'll help explain. My payroll HR handled the customer interface to handle payroll processing, and it received deposits from employers to cover the employee payroll. They then would send the employer deposits that were going to cover payroll and a data file instructing how each payment was to be paid to employees through a processing company named Cache Financial Services. The payroll deposits that they had collected from all the businesses or their clients, the employers, are then sent to a holding account for Cache to cover the amounts deposited to employee bank accounts. However, a couple weeks ago, instead of the employer's payroll deposits going to the holding account at Cache, they were diverted and sent to a bank account at Pioneer Savings Bank that was controlled by Michael Mann, the owner of My Payroll HR. Reports say this was around $26 million. What's terrible about all of this is that when Cache realized the funds weren't in the holding account, they reversed the employee's deposits. But there was an error in the reversal instructions. So they tried to cancel the reversal and send it out again correctly. 
but some of the banks let both reversals through, which not only backed out the employees' checks for the week, but also took out a second amount as well. And of course, as you can imagine, this second withdrawal overdrew some employees' accounts. Cachet was not the only processor affiliated with my payroll HR to sustain losses. There was another company out of Florida that would pay the pay in the quarterly payroll taxes on behalf of my payroll HR's customers. And this company had about $9 million in tax payments that they made on behalf of my payroll HR. And then they went to go collect that money to debit um, my payroll HR's bank accounts when they found out that the accounts were frozen. After reading that the bank accounts were frozen, I immediately thought this is a bigger fraud scheme than stealing, not that this is <laughs> acceptable, but than stealing some payroll from people. This is part of something much bigger. Definitely sounded like a robbing Peter to pay Paul type scenario. Then on September 23rd, I read that federal prosecutors had filed a complaint charging Michael Mann with $70 million in bank fraud. And according to the different articles I read, which will be in the show notes, is that the different articles said he had fraudulently obtained about $70 million in loans by representing that he had receivables and assets that didn't actually exist. And in recent months, he had been check kiting as well, which if you want to know about check kiting and Ponzi schemes, check out our episode with Janetta Maxwell. But the buzz we've seen on the news about all the payroll issues and the hundreds of thousands of employees not getting paid on time, just this huge mess was really a last ditch effort and the end of fraud schemes that had been happening since at least 2010. And you know, a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme or any other scheme that's founded on robbing Peter to pay Paul, it always has to look for new sources of funding, a new way to create more of a float. You have to find another funding source. They all come to an end. And in this case, it affected hundreds of thousands of employees. And actually, I did read where Cachet, the payroll processing provider, ended up paying all of the employees. And now they're the ones potentially stuck with that $26 million or whatever the count is now loss. In the Wall Street Journal article that I read, Michael Mann was apparently using all of this diverted payroll money to offset outstanding loans that he owed that he fraudulently obtained from Pioneer Bank. I mean, especially in the age of social media, like what did he think was gonna happen? People apparently went to Twitter immediately when all of their deposits weren't going through, which if I were guessing is probably why Krebs on security picked up on it so fast because he's watching those sorts of things. Anyway, he's now been charged with bank fraud and we're not here to talk about why he did something, his psychology, the behavior, blah. Let's talk about what can we do. I love recommending payroll outsourcing to small businesses as a prevention method against employee theft. What are we going to do if the person handling that outsourcing of payroll is a Michael Mann? And, you know, if we think about it, payroll outsourcing is still run by people. So we can't just turn a blind eye. We can't just assume they're going to do everything the right way. And something that I hadn't really considered before now is that payroll companies aren't highly regulated, although I'm sure that's about to change. But anyway, nevertheless, I'm here to offer the following safeguards. One, don't give your payroll outsourcing company access to your operating account. That's just one more person to have a bank account number 
why give them access to all of your funds? Create a payroll account, transfer the money over, let them debit that account. I know it's an extra step, but I would rather have them have access to the funds I've set aside for payroll and not my entire operating account. And number two, ask your payroll provider if they are insured to cover against instances like this. In just a second, we're gonna check in with an insurance expert so that he can tell us all the things to ask our payroll provider about. And number three, a payroll provider is a vendor. And just like you would do due diligence on a vendor that you don't know very well, do due diligence on your payroll provider. Just a couple of ideas. Look at reviews online. Research the company. Look to see who actually owns the company. Look for bankruptcies that individual or that company might have filed. That's just a place to start. So when I see stories like this in the news, I often try to think about as a data sleuth, as a fraud examiner, as a private investigator, how do I take very practical steps to reducing my risk, preventing and detecting fraud? All right, as I mentioned earlier, I have invited an insurance expert to the podcast today to talk a little bit about just some different options or the option that we have as consumers to help us reduce some of our risk or exposure should another Michael Mann situation happen with a payroll company. So I have asked Tim Driscoll. He is the CEO of Insurica Tulsa. I've known Tim as long as I've been in business, I think. I think Insurica has been helping me this entire time. Thank you, I think so. Yeah, as we were talking earlier, you were talking about how you actually went to undergrad at OSU and got a degree in finance and insurance. So that was a combined- Pretty rare. Yeah. Pretty, pretty rare degree. And started in the insurance industry when you were about 14 years old. So working, you've been- Working for my dad. Yeah, so you've been doing this for over 50 years. I have. So I feel like that, that you qualify as an expert. If we were in court right now, they'd say, yep, you're an expert. I didn't bring my briefcase with me. Well, that might be a strike against you. Might disqualify. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, you know, the other day I reached out to you about this Michael Mann case, and I said, you know, what can we do to help mitigate this risk? And you said, give me a second, we're looking into this. And so then sent me the sample policy and I didn't know what I was looking at, so I invited you to come over and talk to me about it. Okay, <laughs> And our listeners can kind of talk about what options are out there as a business owner, what can I do to help to protect myself? From those situations, yeah. And, yeah. and it's difficult because a lot of agents aren't gonna be aware of a solution for that problem. Mm-hmm. And so it may not come up in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and so from a risk management standpoint, unless your agent is bringing those risks to your attention. You're mm-hmm. the one that needs to be thinking of them. Yeah. And if you're if you're thinking about it, you're giving your money to somebody else. And, and so it's not like they stole it from you, you just gave it to them. Yeah. And if you were looking at it from the standpoint of your own company, you're thinking, well, I've got coverage because I buy employee dishonesty coverage to mm-hmm. protect me protect my company in the event I have an employee who steals from me. Yep. And that is what most of those policies in fact do is cover mm-hmm. just that theft by an employee from the employer. And so that's not going to help you much if you're giving your money to a third party mm-hmm. and their employee is the one that steals the money that's your money. Right. So your employee dishonesty policy is going to protect you. So you're trying to figure out, well, how do I know that I've got some protection in that regard because I'm going to pass my money on to somebody else? 
like that a payroll service so looking at them one one option to check is to see if they ha have a bond in place that it covers theft but not theft of their money theft of their customers money sure okay. and uh, and so that's possible although i'm going to say most of them probably don't you know what you're then looking at is trying to figure out do can you buy employee dishonesty coverage that extends third-party coverage somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out, does the, does the payroll service have a bond or do they have employee dishonesty coverage that extends coverage to a third party? So you want to know they have employee dishonesty coverage, and that's fine, but it would only cover stealing money from payroll company. And mm -hmm. it's your money, so you need to know that it extends or is endorsed to pick up third-party coverage. As a client, I would be that third party that their yes. employee dishonesty policy would extend, would extend to. to you. That's yes. what we want to ask. Yes, for. and then they could give you a certificate that shows that. Okay. So you would know it, just like you're asking them for a certificate of some other kind of insurance, workers' comp, or maybe professional liability, mm -hmm. and you're just asking for one more thing, employee sure. dishonesty, but not just employee dishonesty, employee dishonesty with third-party extension or a third-party endorsement. And they can yeah. give me, as a client, a certificate showing me that. They should be able to do that. Okay. Yep. Well, that seems if, easy enough. If they have the coverage. If they right. have the coverage. And a lot of them don't. I mean, they really don't. Yeah. Uh, well, they might be looking into it now uh, after this people case. People might be more sensitive yeah. to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of company, staffing companies, where you get into that situation where a staffing company as an employee working for somebody else, a third party. Mm -hmm. That third party wants to know, well, what, what, a minute, what about the staffing company employees stealing something from me while they're working at my premises? Right. Same kind of an issue there. Mm -hmm. Your employee dishonesty coverage isn't going to help because that's not your employee. Right. But their employee dishonesty coverage would help if it has that third party extension to yeah. go to protect you in a staffing company situation. So you've got those two things come to mind, boom, yeah. boom, as places where you have those kind of issues and problems. Well, I think after all of this, and we were kind of talking about before we started recording this, how this case could literally just shut some payroll companies down yeah. if he was in business with them, or even like Cachet that went ahead and paid you know, all the employees' payrolls and they're stuck now with this $26 million loss is what I read. Yep. So if that is true, I mean, that could shut a company down. It, it very easily could. And, and yeah. in these cases, in particular this case, the company, the payroll company, is not going to be able to step up and probably have funds to pay the taxes sure. or the payroll that disappeared. Right. You're going to have to do that as the employer and if you look at it you think well they're going to have coverage for that under their employee dishonesty well probably not at all in particular in that case because mm -hmm. the owner was the person that perpetrated the fraud and right. that's an exclusion on every policy and so they're probably not going to have the funds to reimburse their customers right in the short run that's going to make it back on the employer to pick those up yeah when we were talking earlier, though, about this extension to third parties, you were saying that the cost isn't exorbitant to add it, it this. It really isn't. If you, in the scheme of things, if you 
buy employee dishonesty coverage, and if you're buying it now, just look at your cost paying for that in your own business. It's not very expensive. You can buy hundreds of thousands of dollars of coverage for thousands of dollars in premiums. Mm -hmm. Not extensive, not very expensive. Yeah. And all you're asking them to do is extend that to a third party. Well, that's a right. nominal cost to endorse it to do that. Okay. So hopefully our payroll fees don't go up a ton. Now, if it gets regulated, Should, that, the payroll industry gets regulated, now we're going to be now a lot more problem. for payroll processing, <laughs> now you right? Got a different oh, gosh. Problem. Michael Mann, what were you thinking? <laughs> now, totally different problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it's not a big, it's not expensive. It that's really good. isn't. You, know, you think it might be. The other day we had a customer that we were looking at maybe $400,000 worth of coverage for. And for was, employee dishonesty? For employee dishonesty. It was under $2,000 oh, a year. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, you know, you're not like you might think, oh my gosh, it's going to be 50000 or 20000 right. or whatever. It's not. Right. Cool. And so, well, that's doable. And as the customer, you know, I, I'm a customer of, like I outsource payroll in my company. And so as a customer, the cost to me is just making that phone call and getting that certificate of insurance right. and then doing right. like a little bit of research about the company and who owns that company and just like we would any Anybody vendor. Else. Always, I know that's your advice, always know who you're doing business with. Right. If right. you can, that makes a big difference. Well, Tim, thanks okay. so much for joining me today yeah. on the podcast and Enjoyed helping us know how to mitigate some of our risk as a payroll yeah. client. Yeah, kind of fun and different, something yeah. to look into and pay attention. Right. To pay attention. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To get updates on future podcasts, events, and resources, please subscribe to our podcast, our YouTube channel, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.